Well, last week, for those that weren't here, um, I'm going to read one scripture from last week in Exodus 33, chapter, or verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I have promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. Sounded really good till right there. And then it says, but I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. We talked last week about how Moses wanted the best thing. He wanted really the only important thing, the presence of God. And we talked about how if, if you or I in the natural had this kind of offer given to us, boy, would it be tempting to accept this offer. I'm going to drive out the enemies. I'm going to give you the land, and it's a land flowing with milk and honey. I am going to defeat all the enemies before you. You don't have to worry about a thing. And as to, just to assure you of all this that I'm saying, I'm going to send a great big mighty angel with you. And we'd have probably said, amen, let's go get the land. It's kind of like all the blessings that God has for us that can become an idol in our life. We want the blessings, but we forget about the presence. And Moses said, I'm not going anywhere, God, without your presence. He said, I'm not going. If you don't go with us, I'm not going. I don't care about the angel. That's nice. The land, that's nice. All the blessings, that's nice. But what are all those blessings worth without your presence? And Moses is determined. He wasn't going to be distracted by the promise of the blessings. He wasn't going to be distracted by anything. He was determined. He wanted the manifest presence of God. Now, the manifest presence of God, last week when I talked about it, it can be a little bit of an ethereal thing like, what is that, Mike? Is it the warm fuzzies or what? We as Christians... If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit is the manifest presence of God in our lives. And when we surrender our spirits, crucify our flesh, and we are led by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the manifest presence of God in our life. The fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the goodness, all of the fruit of the Spirit that is there in us. When it's manifesting, it's the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. When you're loving the unlovable, you're manifesting the presence of God in your life. When the gifts of the Holy Spirit are operating through you, whether it be the gift of healing, the gift of prophecy, the gift of serving, the manifest presence of God is present right there, right then, and right now. But if we lose focus on the Holy Spirit, we could hear. Now, we probably wouldn't hear because we've quit listening. We wouldn't even realize that the manifest presence of God is gone. Holy Spirit's still there. You've been born again by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit still, you are still His temple, but He's just backed off. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force the issue. But if we desire Him, if we seek Him, if we desire the Word, 
You know, I can't stress this enough. It's my, kind of my one-string banjo, but I want to just say it, and then I'm going to try to leave it alone. You need to be in the Word of God. This is the living Word of God. And when the Holy Spirit manifests and speaks to us, more often than not, He's going to speak according and through the Word of God. You want to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit more clearly? Get in the Scriptures. Get them in your heart. You know, the Word of God says He's written His laws on our heart. They're there. But we need to renew this mind by the Word of God. Be in the Word. You will experience His presence. It's His Word, the living Word. You know, if we can kind of get that thought working in our minds, you know, we're so used to we have a book or your iPhone or whatever you use. It's, just, it's words on paper. It's the living Word of God. It's as if He is sitting there at, with you across the table drinking a cup of coffee speaking to you. That's His presence. When you are really into the Word of God, looking at it as the Word of God, there's the manifest presence of God right there. So this manifest presence of God is so much more than a feeling, but it is a feeling. And it's so much more than just an emotion, but it is emotional. You know, I get so frustrated with people who say things to me like, you guys are so emotional. I go, you better believe it. If you're not emotional in the most intimate relationship you have, what is that relationship worth? If you have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, encounters with Him are going to be emotional. You may weep at times, you may rejoice at times, you may cry and sob like you've never sobbed before, or you may get up and dance throughout your home. It's emotional. It has to be. It's a test of our intimacy. Religion has taught us so much from the Word of God, but they've left out the intimacy. Without love, what is there? Nothing. We do not want to get bound in just knowledge. So when I stress the Word of God, it's so much more than getting prepared to take a quiz. It's getting the Word of God in you so that the Holy Spirit can bring it to life through you. And the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit is there. And we can learn to walk in it. And I'm so tired of failing at it so miserably in my own life. It's available to us. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, they've been given to us. You and I have gifts. They're varying gifts. They're different gifts. But they've been given to us by the Spirit that lives and dwells in us. And He will give us the power to release those gifts but it's going to be released with more power and more authority with greater intimacy. We all usually get wrapped up in wanting the blessings. I want to walk in power and authority. The Bible says we're supposed to lay hands on the sick, they'd be healed. We're going to raise the dead. And we're going to cast out demons in Jesus' name. I want to do all that, but you know what? Intimacy. 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 You know, you could say, I want my wife to treat me like I'm a king. I want her to just love on me. I want her to submit to me. I, I, I just want the perfect wife. But I'm kind of a jerk and I like it. I'm going to ignore her. And yet I'm going to expect her to meet all my needs. Well, a really good wife like mine might do that anyway. But probably not. And that's how it is with the Lord. It's there for us. 
Moses was determined. Moses understood his need for God. I think sometimes we forget how much we need God. We are a self-sufficient creation in so many ways. And so often, even the gifts and the things that God has given us, we, we turn them into something that they're ours. And we can function in them without Him. Now, we might be able to accomplish some things in the natural, but when it comes to that day in heaven when He's handing out the rewards, those things that are we, we are doing in our flesh are going to be nothing. Nothing. The Bible says we're all going to just burn up. What will remain are all the things that we have done in response to the Holy Spirit, the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. So today I'm going to back up just a little bit to see, and I know it's a pretty familiar story to most of us, but I want us to back up a little bit and see what brought us to the point where God says, I can't come with you because I could kill you all. That's basically what he said. And he even took it a little further. If I'm Moses and God says, these people... I don't know how you're doing it, Moses. I'm fed up. Matter of fact, I don't even dare come with you. I'm not going to come with you because I might kill them. That's what he says. And he says, but I will raise up a great nation out of you, Moses, when I kill them all off. Golly, he just just increased the ante in the pot. Moses said, no way. No way. I'm not going anywhere without you. And God, if you kill your people, what's the, what's the rest of the world going to think? He, he interceded for his people. So I want us to look at what happened to get to the place where God's presence is being withdrawn in such a powerful way. Moses was on Mount Sinai, and he went up there to receive instruction from the Lord and and determine or to receive the two tablets that we hear about. You know, we sometimes think all he got up there was the two tablets with the Ten Commandments. There was a whole lot of stuff given to Moses. A whole lot of instruction. A whole lot of the law. All the ceremonial stuff. I'm not going to go into any of that. But I'm going to bring us up to Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 10. And I'm going to read them, and then we're going to look at them and see if we can't see a few different things that they did attitudes that they had that might just still be around today. Exodus 32, starting in verse 1. Moses has been up in the mountain for a long time. And the people are bored and restless. And it says this, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Now Aaron is Moses' brother, the priest, his confidant, So the people come to Aaron, and what does Aaron do? They say to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses character, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. Aaron then says to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in your ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off all the gold rings which were in the ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And then they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before this molten calf and made a proclamation 
And he says, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now that word, in the I don't know what your translation says, where it says they rose up to play. But if you want to do a word study that's a little bit close to X-rated, that's the word study you want to do. They rose up and had a sexual orgy, a drunken debacle. That's what they rose up to do. That's what that word means. And then... In verse 7, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down there at once, for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf, and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it. And they have said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate, stiff-necked people. Now then, leave me alone. that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I will make of you a great nation. Wow. God has had enough. Now he knew, because he's God, how Moses was going to respond. None of this is surprising him. He knew he really wasn't going to destroy all the people. But Moses doesn't know all that. And Moses responds... Lord, and he starts praying for the people. I mean, he, he is so sold out for his people. He says, you know what, God? If, if the, blot my name out of the book of life. But save these people. I'm not going anywhere without you, God. Your presence has got to go before me. Last week, the whole theme of what I shared was that determination. It's not easy to seek the presence of God. Our flesh hates it. But if we're determined... And that's where it has to start. We have to determine that we're going to do what it takes to see the manifest presence of God in our lives, to know that kind of intimacy, to be able to carry out the great commission like God instructed us to. It's going to take hard work. So when we look at this scriptures that I just read, we see that it was due to their sin the Lord decided to remove his presence from them. He wasn't going to go with them. And I think for sure today, sadly, for probably all of us at different times, but for some of us most of the time, we have no conscious presence of God in our lives. We're saved. We've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. We know all that stuff. Somebody asks us, we can tell them. And probably it's true. But if you ask that same person, Tell me how you've really experienced the the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. When was the last time you were consciously aware of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life? I mean, the God that created the universe lives in you and me. We might want to pay attention, right? We should be able to notice if he's there. And sadly, most people would look at us like, what are you talking about when you ask such a foolish question? And I'm not going to go down this road, but personally, because this is where our church comes from, that's one of the reasons we believe that there's a secondary experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit that's very important also. Because the disciples were told to go wait in Jerusalem until the promise came. And the promise was that baptism of the Holy Spirit because it said, then you will be endued with power. The power not just to go out and do the miracles, but the power to live a life that glorifies God. 
the power to have a marriage that glorifies God, be a parent that glorifies God, a power to, to overcome those besetting sins in our life. There is a power that's available, I believe, at a greater level when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, if that doesn't fit your theology, talk to me or somebody else about it. But it's solid scripture. So what is it? Let's look at a couple verses. Let's start with verse 7 and 8 of Exodus chapter 32. Here we see one of the things that prevents us as Christians from having this kind of intimacy. It's called direct, straight-on disobedience. We just flat-out disobey. You know, we, we oftentimes, and many people, and again, I'm putting myself in the category of the many people, We confess our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we don't have our presence, His presence in our lives on a daily basis. And sometimes we're not even sure of our salvation. I hope we aren't there, but sometimes we can, we can get so far away from that intimacy with Him that the enemy can start messing with our head. Am I really saved? Is there really even a God? Am I believing a great big fairy tale? I haven't heard his voice. I haven't felt his presence. Well, if we're really saved, don't blame him. He's there waiting. What are we doing? Disobedience is one of those things. In 1 John 4, verse 13, it says, By this we know that we abide in him and he, uh, he in us because he has given us of his spirit. I read that scripture to say, We can know that we're saved. So many people say, How do you know for sure, Mike? Because... The Holy Spirit that lives in me confirms that I am saved. My spirit, His spirit. Romans 8, 16 and 17, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit. The Holy Spirit's testifying, communicating with my spirit that we are children of God. Children of God. And if there were children, we're heirs also. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. The Holy Spirit. We as Christians, if we're in any type of intimacy with the Holy Spirit, with God, we should never ever doubt. Because the Holy Spirit is testifying, continually communicating with my spirit. You're saved. You're born again. I live in you. The creator of the universe, I live in you. I have a plan for your life and there's a destiny and I will give you the desire and the will and the ability to live out that destiny. All those giftings and callings that are in there, the fruit that's in there, I will bring it forth as you cooperate with me. All you got to do is cooperate with me. And as you do, you'll know me. And you don't have to worry about, am I really saved? My salvation. When we willingly and knowly disobey God, <clears throat> we grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, you've probably heard that before. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And the second scripture talks about we can actually quench the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4.30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I believe when you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit sealed the deal. And you can't break that seal, but you can sure lose intimacy. And then it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, don't quench the Spirit. When we talk about grieving the Holy Spirit, that word grieve there means what we probably think it means. Don't make him sad. Don't make him sorrowful. Don't cause great grief and sorrow. 
And if you read it in the context of all the verses around it, which you can do on your own, you know what it's talking about? The way you live your life, the way you do relationships with people, and the words that come out of your mouth. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, that opens up the door to the First Thessalonians where it says, it's quenched. That word, when we talk about quenched, can be translated extinguish. Don't suppress, don't stifle. Don't, by indifference, doubt, or rejection of him, push him away. Now, I don't think any of us consciously would want to grieve the Holy Spirit or quench the Holy Spirit. But disobedience will do both. He says, those who love me will follow my commands. That those that don't, don't really love me. Now, that doesn't mean we don't mess up. That doesn't mean we don't sin. We do, regularly. But it means when we realize what we've just done, we quickly confess it and get right with the Lord again. Because he's, already, he's died. They're already forgiven. We just need to acknowledge that we blew it. Confess it. Not for his benefit. He already died on the cross. It's for our benefit to get back to that place where the door is open for that intimacy with the Holy Spirit again in our life. The Holy Spirit. If you remember the story of Moses when he's leading the people, if you remember, he said, there's going to be a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That's my presence. Follow it. Well, in our lives, there's not a pillar of cloud. A pillar of cloud is not a pillar of fire. We have the Holy Spirit. That is God. The Holy Spirit is God. God the Spirit lives in me. There all the time. All the time. Never leaves us. Never forsakes us. But when we deliberately disobey God, we grieve the Spirit. We quench the Spirit. And really, we make him sorrowful because guess what? This is what he gets so sorrowful about. God wants intimacy with us. The title of the message was, you know, we've been purposed for his presence. He created us for his presence. He wants intimacy. So when we do these things that, that force it, the Holy Spirit to back off, it grieves him. Because he desires it so much. He loves us so much. We've got to start believing the truth of what the Word says. That's how much he loves you. It breaks his heart when we push him away. And there's no quicker way than to direct disobedience. In verse 4 that I read, and if you can go back to that on the screen, we see kind of a divided devotion here. In verse 4 it says, He took this from their hand, the gold, and he made it into this calf. And then he says these words. They say these words. Not just Aaron, but they, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. You know, they didn't totally disown God who had parted the Red Sea, who had brought all the plagues. But they said, oh wait, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. And it's like, divided devotion, God's a jealous God. He's not going to share his glory or his honor with anybody. It's called an idol. 
An idol is anything that we love more, fear more, serve more, or trust more than God. And we would all say we don't have any of those. Right? Is there anything or anyone in your life that controls your behavior more than God? That thing or that person's an idol. That's called peer pressure. That's an idol. I'm not going to do that. What would they think? Really? Is there anything or anyone that takes precedence over God in our life? Is there a relationship that means more to you than your relationship with the Lord? That relationship is an idol. You know, when I was with Arnie, Diane had the wits about her enough to call the vehicle, the phone, and get a hold of Kathy. Now, there is no doubt in my mind, and if you've been around him at all, there should be no doubt in your mind that they loved each other dearly. But I heard Kathy over the speaker on the phone as loud as she could speak so Arnie could still hear say goodbye to her husband, thanking him. For all the good years and a wonderful life together. You know what I didn't hear in her voice at all? Was sadness? None. She wasn't sobbing uncontrollably like I would. She knew no matter how much Arnie loved her, he loved God more. And no matter how much Arnie was loved by her, God loved her more. That relationships that we have in our lives so often, they become idols in our lives. That's divided devotion to God. Is there a treasure that means more to you than God? Is there anything that you give way more attention to than you do to the Lord? It's divided devotion. Those things are idols in our lives, and we all have them. I personally don't like to see mine. (laughs) I don't know about you. But you know what? If you want to find out what they are and you're not really sure, first ask your spouse and then, then go ask the Holy Spirit to reveal them because he will. Your spouse might add too many to the list. <laughs> A third thing we can see in verses 7 and 8, and, and it is so easy to fall into this snare in our culture, but it's a wrongly placed dependency. Who is our source of everything? God, the Holy Spirit. Everything is a gift from God. Every good thing is from above. Everything, right? So when God gives us a victory and we give the glory to something else or someone else, we begin to depend on that someone else or that something else more than we depend on God. And the presence of God will start to seep away in our life. What kind of things could they be? Well, first and foremost, in my life, it's called self I can fix it, I can do it, I can figure it out, and when it does work out, I I pat myself on my back, pull some muscles, and think, man, I'm something. Pride, self, giving credit to someone who definitely doesn't deserve it. There's nothing wrong with, well, there's things wrong with me, but there's nothing wrong with me. Another place I see it happen all the time, and I'm guilty of it as all, as anybody here, I'm sure, is modern medicine. 
and the marvels of medicine. How many of us think to pray and ask God to heal us before we go to the doctor? I'm not telling anybody not to go to the doctor because every good gift is from above. Those people with those minds and the, the technology are a gift from God. But if that's our first thought, we've got an issue. And whatever thing we look to, finances, if I just had more money, I can figure it all out, I'll be just fine. Well, I can guarantee you this, there are problems bigger than you can afford, no matter how much money you've got. But they're nothing to the creator of the universe. Nothing. So we need to guard our hearts for that displaced dependence where we can fix things with something else. And then he finishes up in verse 4. No, in verse 9. Wherever I can read it here. He says, The Lord says to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate, stiff-necked people. This is called straight-on direct defiance. We might just say, I am really stubborn, and I like it. It's the opposite of being humble. It's the opposite of being pliable. You know, we're to be soft, pliable clay in the hands of the master potter. God wants to transform you into me into something special called the image of Christ. And he's going to do it either with a hammer and chisel or just soft forming. I prefer the soft forming. When God lays something on our hearts, what do we do? What do we do with it? We can choose to respond or we can choose to defy him and ignore it. And I have a great excuse for ignoring it in my own life. You maybe use the same one. Is that really you, God? Or is that just me? Well, it might be really him. What do you do? Where, where could this happen? You ever felt the prompting to go witness to someone? And that fear of man rises up in you, and, and you say, I'm going to let Casey do it because she likes to. We're just defying the Holy Spirit. You ever felt a calling or an impulse to serve in a specific capacity? And your response is, are you kidding me? I'm better than that. Or I don't have time for that. Or they're better at it than I am. We're defying God. You ever felt an urge or a compulsion that comes from not you to give something away that you're kind of attached to? Like maybe a car, money, go on down the list as far as you'd like. When we are being impressed by the Holy Spirit to do that and we choose not to, we're defying God. Here's a tough one. Young people, old people. Is there that still small voice telling you that this relationship that you're in or initiating is not of God? 
what do you do with that one? Ah, it'll be okay. They may not be a Christian yet, but I know if they really like me, they'll accept Christ. Dating evangelism is not in the book. The last one, call to go on mission trips. Maybe a call to full-time Christian ministry. The Holy Spirit is stirring and stirring. I mean, I ran for that, from that call for years because it just didn't make sense. Wasn't smart enough. Didn't know, have enough education. I was a jerk. Didn't seem like the perfect qualifications. Besides, I had a good job, making some pretty good money, just built a new house, had a wife who was scared to death of ministry full-time. And I ran and ran and ran, defying God. It's when we're in that place that we're so thankful for the grace and mercy of God. But you know what? When we respond to his voice, the manifest presence of God is there in our life. That's what Moses wanted. He was determined. He said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything without you, Lord. If you don't go with me, I'm not going. And I think probably in all of that, that's what the Lord was waiting for him to say. He knew what the people were going to do before he ever brought Moses up the mountain. And Moses came through. Are we determined to do what it takes for the manifest presence of God in our lives every day? You know, our natural mind will tell you, golly, we got to give up a lot for his presence. The reality is his presence is so much better than anything that we think we're going to give up. And the odds are pretty good. You aren't going to have to give it up anyway. He just wants to know your heart. And we're going to continue in the next few weeks discovering more and more about seeking his presence. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that for each one of us, as we allow your Holy Spirit to to really do a self-evaluation, search our hearts. Even as David cried out, search our hearts, O God, and if there be anything there that shouldn't be there, God, reveal it to us that our hearts would be right with you. God, if we're supposed to go forgive someone, give us the grace to do that. Relationships are wrong. Give us the grace to to change those relationships. Father, I thank you that we can confess our, our rebelliousness and get right with you. And Lord, I pray that's what your Holy Spirit would do right now in my life and the life of each one here. Show us these things. God, that we would walk in such a way that we would be conscious of your presence, the Holy Spirit, every day, all day. And Father, we know that as you've called us to that, you will give us the grace to walk it out. And Father, not only will we be blessed, but the kingdom of God will be advanced through us by your Spirit. God, and we look forward for what you have for us in the days ahead. As your children as joint heirs with Christ. We pray that you would receive all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.